young person today is a dangerous endeavor. Amen? I grew up, like many other people in this room, blessed and fortunate because I grew up riding my bike in the neighborhood with a gang of neighborhood kids, jumping off of bridges, swinging off of ropes that were tied to my uncle's tree, and playing basketball at every court I could possibly get to. The last place I wanted to be was in my house or in my room. And the first electronic device that I ever owned personally was a beeper. Boy, I had game with that beeper, man, let me tell you. I can't remember what any of those codes meant, but once I snagged my wife, I dropped the beeper. But this is not the case today. Today, young people aren't even allowed to go outside. Before they're even able to stand on their own two feet, babies and toddlers are conditioned in their strollers to love electronic devices. And the danger of such a reality is this. The world, listen, the world is filtering ungodliness and unholiness to us and to our children through these devices. The images and the words that might have been seen and heard by us in our late teens are seen and heard numerous times by the time our children are 11. Now, don't get me wrong. The usage on my iPhone is hours and hours and hours every week. But I'm listening to podcasts. I'm watching documentaries. I'm not anti-electronics. This is a neutral thing that you can decide to use one way or another. So before you're like, Joe's going to make us all monks, don't misunderstand what I'm saying. This is my point. It used to be difficult for me to get in trouble. I could find it, but I had to look. Today, you young people can get into the same trouble I would get in realistically, virtually, in your room, and your parents don't even know. And you think because there aren't consequences from your parents immediately that this isn't troubling your soul, but it is. It is troubling your soul. Being a youth today is a dangerous endeavor. I said that to say this. I know that we have great youth in this church. I love them like they're my nephews and nieces. And I know many of you too do too. The reality of the matter is we are all, however, still sinners. And regardless of how impressed we might be with our youth, it behooves us, it falls to us as a responsibility to help them understand what the world is trying to accomplish in their life. And therefore, we all need to hear a word from the Lord today, especially those of you who are young people. Today, the Apostle Paul is going to speak to you in particular. And I pray that you'll listen. Young people, if you'll listen, will you say amen? All right. Two simple points for you. The command 
and the promise. Shalisa, you're not young anymore, baby. But I appreciate that encouragement. The command and the promise. So let's get to work. Let's read the text one more time, if you would, please. It says, verse 1 of Ephesians chapter 6, Children, obey your parents in the Lord because this is right. Honor your father and mother. He says sort of parenthetically, this is the first commandment with the promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. First church, we have to start at the beginning with the command found in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 1, namely, children, obey your parents, listen to this, in the Lord because it's right. As Paul did in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 31, so he's doing now. He quoted the book of Genesis then to establish his point, and here he's also quoting the scriptures. Now, I want to stop here and acknowledge something for a moment. From time to time, the apostles would say something that was based upon Christian reason and the authority given to them by Christ that made them apostles. For example, at one point, Paul says something to the church at Corinth, but he specifically adds after saying it, quote, I, not the Lord, say this. As if to say, this isn't a direct quotation from Jesus. This is established from me and my authority as an apostle. But more often than not, though that happens every now and then, More often than not, get this, the apostles established the teaching they were handing down to the church by quoting the Old Testament scriptures. They quoted the Old Testament, and they quoted it often. So is the case here. Moving back to Ephesians chapter 6, verse 1, it says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. This is getting pulled from the Decalogue. Can you say that word? Decalogue. It means the Ten Commandments. And in particular, this is found in Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 16. This is the commandment that says, honor your father and mother. This is the fifth commandment. There's a couple of things that I want you to see here. They're going to come up on the screen. First of all, Paul is addressing children. The word is a generic word that refers more to a relationship or dependency than it does to children of any particular age. So we don't need to get bogged down on, is this kid 13 or is this kid 5? It's not what we're talking about. We're talking about more of a dynamic of relationship than age. It also is a word that covers both male and female. And sometimes it's even used to refer to the students of disciples. For example, the Apostle John in 3 John verse 4 says, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. That phrase, my children is the same word that is used by Paul here in Ephesians, but John is obviously not talking about his biological children. He's talking about those people he has influence over, who rely upon him, who depend upon him. Now, I say all that to say this. It's not relevant whether you're 5 or 15, young people. If you have parents who are over you, and by that I mean your livelihood is dependent upon them, 
the roof over your head and the food in the pantry is there because of your parents. If you're in a situation like that, then here's what the Bible says to you. Obey your parents. Secondly, we see the command. Children, we've already talked about who that who qualifies under that title. Children, obey your parents. That's the command. It's simple. It's not a technical word. It's not a fancy word. It simply means to obey, which can be defined as to listen to or to honor. That's what it means to obey. It means to listen to or to honor. I don't think Paul is screaming, by the way, here, obey your parents. I don't think he's losing his mind here. I think he's saying, and this is just a a loose quotation, so give me a little latitude here, okay? I think he's saying something like this. Hey, your parents have your best interests in mind. Listen to your parents, man. They take care of you. They provide for you. They have lived a lot longer than you, so don't be a jerk. Now, it's a loose translation, but I don't think Paul is screaming and choking out young people here. I think he's saying, children, obey your parents. Listen to your parents. Respect your parents. Am I right, parents? The truth is, anyone can rebel against their parents. It's in our sinful nature to do the exact opposite of what we're told to do. We see it in kids as young as two. Don't do this. Don't touch this. Because sin is in our nature. There are some who rebel just because someone else is doing it. They don't hate their parents necessarily, but they refuse to obey them because obedience is unpopular. But Paul is saying that young Christians who live with their parents acknowledge where they fall in the hierarchy, and they don't fall at the top. And it's not a point of influence that they occupy. They occupy a point that is influenced. And there's a grave difference between the two. Young Christians are to submit to their parents by obeying them because the parents are accountable to God for them, just as young Christians are accountable to God for their obedience. Third thing I want you to see in this is that Paul says, thirdly, an important formula to impress this command. Children, obey your parents And then here comes the formula, in the Lord, for this is right. When he tells children to obey their parents, he says, in the Lord, for this is right. In the Lord is this formula that's used from time to time in the New Testament. Essentially, this is what it means. If you're in Christ, this is how it ought to be. If you're in Christ, this is how it ought to be. What does it mean to be in Christ? It means to be a Christian. I'm going to give you a couple of examples. One is Colossians 3.18. 
In Colossians 3.18, it says, Wives, submit to your own husbands, similar to Ephesians, as is fitting, guess what? In the Lord. James chapter 2, verse 1. In James chapter 2, verse 1, the apostle James says, My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith. Guess what? In the Lord. In other words, if you are a Christian, if you're in Christ, you ought not to be partial. There should be no prejudice. There should be no nepotism. There should be no favoritism. When you are a Christian, you should be impartial in the Lord. In any case, Paul wants young people to get this point. As the family is God's design, and as you are Christians living in a Christian home under the influence and authority of Christian parents, get this, God expects you, young people, to obey and to respect your parents because this is his purpose and his plan in your life right now. Say that again. Your purpose and your plan from God to you in your youth is to respect and to obey your parents. You see, obedience and spirituality, they are practical when you're young. There is no such thing as a young person who is spiritual and disobedient to God. That doesn't happen. A young person's first major obedience is to God. It isn't to changing the world. A young person's first major responsibility is to respect their parents. By doing the dishes, by cleaning their room, by finishing their homework, by bringing home the grades that your parents expect you to bring home, by going to worship and participating. My kids don't have an option of what they're going to do on Sunday morning. We go to church on Sunday. We worship God with God's people. That's what we do. We don't go to church. We go to worship with God's people. My kids don't have an option. But let me tell you something else. We raised our kids in the gospel. We don't have to tell them anything. Half the time, they're like, we're ready. The reality of the matter is, is we reap what we sow, parents. And some of us are reaping what we didn't intend to sow. But it doesn't matter what you say. It matters what you do. That's what spiritual discipline looks like, young people. It looks like doing the small things well. Listen to what Jesus said in Luke chapter 16, verse 10. In Luke chapter 16, verse 10, Jesus said, One who is faithful in very little is also faithful in much. We've got a tone and demeanor in young people right now, primarily because social media thinks they're big, makes them think that they're bigger than they actually are, that their reach is greater than it actually is. They want to change the world and change the government and change society, but they won't clean their room. 
They want to change the world and change the government and address gender issues and sexuality issues and education and the bureaucracy that bogs down education. They want to lecture you about health care, but they're 16 and they just got their license and they're scared to drive on the 826. And we're going to talk about this next week when we talk about parenting. A lot of this falls on you. We're bad parents. We failed our kids because we hugged them when we should have slapped them on the back of the neck. We're going to get to that. But for now, today, young people, you need to hear me. You don't have the influence that you think you have. It's wonderful that you're passionate about great things, but what Jesus is saying in Luke 16 is, it doesn't matter if you are passionate about great things if you can't do small things well. If you want to be successful in faith and in family, if you want to accomplish great things in the future, and I hope you do, it starts in your house, and it starts in your room. It starts with obeying your parents by respecting those God has given to you to love and to be loved by. The idea of this obedience to your parents is being in the Lord, Paul says, means that it isn't about what you want or prefer. And I can understand this. We parents are very imperfect. Amen? We make a lot of mistakes. If we always got what we wanted or preferred, the Bible wouldn't have commanded us to obey. But we don't always get what we want or prefer, right? And therefore, the Bible says, it's not about what you want or prefer. You must obey your parents because this is right. Young people, you are to honor your parents because it's God's design. It's God's purpose for you. Not because it's what you want, but because it's what God wants. And as a Christian, you should want to honor God in Christ because the most glorious thing that you could do is the right thing in the eyes of God who redeemed you in Christ. I can't emphasize this phrase, in the Lord, for it is right enough while our society is trying to divorce or emancipate young people from their parents. We have a godless government that wants to institute godlessness in the family to allow and permit kids anywhere from 5 to 8 to 13 to make decisions for themselves as long as it suits the bureaucratic trend at the time. But parents, you ought to lead your house in such a way that your children know they don't answer to the government, they answer to you. Not as a totalitarian, not as an authoritarian, but as a loving leader, as a servant leader. Finally, Paul says, this is right. Do this in the Lord because this is right. The root word for this phrase, because it is right, is the word righteous. You want to be righteous? Obey your parents. You want to do the right thing? You want to do the righteous thing? Obey your parents. It's that simple. 
Now that covers the command. You say, well, that seems like it happened relatively quickly. Yeah, we don't have to gild the lily here. This is pretty straightforward. Children, obey your parents in the Lord because this is right. However, the command comes with a promise, and this is what we're going to look at now in verses 2 and 3. So following from the first part of Paul's teaching, the command, we're now going to look at the second part, which is the promise. The scripture reads, I'd like you to look at it with your eyes as I read aloud. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is what? This is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise. That it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. There's a couple of things here worth noting. First, I want you to note the promise itself. First of all, I want you to note the promise itself. After quoting the fifth commandment from Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 16, honor your father and mother, Paul says, this is the first commandment with a what? With a promise. And he's not being creative here. When we read the Decalogue, the Ten Commandments, the commandments are given in a sort of bullet point fashion. You shall have no other gods. Do not make images. Honor the name of your God. Respect the Sabbath. Honor your father and mother. And then suddenly there comes a promise after this commandment. And it reads from Deuteronomy 5, that your days may be long and that it may go well with you in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. Literally, Paul quotes the Old Testament to establish his argument. And he says, this first commandment is the first, excuse me, this commandment is the first commandment that comes with a promise. Insightful point, I think, that Paul makes here. Listen, if God chooses to bless you in this life, he will give you friends. And you may have a small handful of what the Bible calls friends. I'm not talking about the 800 people that follow you on Instagram. I'm talking about what the Bible calls a friend. And if you're blessed and God looks favorably upon you, you'll have a few of those people your entire life. But even if he chooses to bless you that way, even if God chooses to place in your life, whether for a short period of time or over the longevity of your life, people that you could call friends through thick and thin no matter what, even if God chooses to bless you that way, he will still only ever give you two parents. Learn to honor God by obeying them. And God will give you a promise. And that promise is, namely, that it will go well with you in the land. Now, this commandment in particular, contextually, was given when the Hebrews left Egypt, went to the promised land. God gives them these commandments, and he says, if you want it to go well with you in the promised land, obey these commandments. In other words, the health of their nation and their society was largely dependent upon honor within the family system. Health in the nation was directly correlated to health in the family a breakdown in the family was directly correlated to a breakdown of society. 
If the family system was honored, then they would receive the benefits, and so would the nation. Now, we aren't in a theocracy anymore. God is not the king of America. Lord, I wish he was. But he's not, so let's be real. Nevertheless, we have to note something. There is a promise here, and there is a principle here. R.C. Sproul writes this, The respect that children are to give to their parents is essential for a well-ordered society, for the stability of the home, and also for the development of discipline and character in the children. So although God may not lead America the way he led Israel, it's foolishness to think that there isn't a relationship between the breakdown of the family and the breakdown of society. Even though we're not in a theocracy, I think the principle is exactly the same. As we see the family break down, we see the country break down. And as the country itself breaks the family down, it becomes significantly worse. What we're seeing today play out in our eyes is the degradation described in Romans chapter 1. It's going to come up on the screen. I want you to read it with your eyes as I read it. This is what Romans chapter 1 says. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are all full of envy, murder, strife, maliciousness. They're gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, get this, disobedient to parents, foolish, Faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. This is what we're watching today in the United States of America. We're watching the fall of Rome on our news channels. The deterioration and degradation of the moral fabric of our society has become so diluted and perverted that simple questions can't be answered and the boundaries that used to be firmly installed in our thinking and assumed right, left, and center by all have completely been annihilated so that people like me, a man who loves his wife and children and thinks his daughters ought to grow up as women, is considered extreme, bigoted, biased, and hateful. I'm fine with that. Jesus said it this way. Woe to you when people speak well of you. If everyone speaks well of you, but God doesn't, you've lost. 
But if you have God, who can be against us? But the reason we're plumbing the depths of this ideology is this reason, church. Say amen if you're listening. It doesn't matter how well or successful you are in society's judgment. What matters is how successful you are in God's. When God looks at you, young people, does he see someone who's obedient to their parents or someone who is disrespectful to their parents, argumentative with their parents, hiding things from their parents just so that they can be accepted by a world that, as soon as it's accepted them, would turn around and crucify them? The world doesn't care about you. You're a pawn in their game. God loves you and loves you enough to send his son to die for you, that you could be adopted and hit to his family from which you will never be removed. That's the difference between the world and God's family. But it leads me to my second point. I want you to consider, secondly, the opposite of the promise. If we see the promise, this is the first commandment that comes with a promise, namely that it will go well with you in the land. If that is the first part, then secondly, I want you to consider what the opposite of the promise might be. If we are promised to have a blessing as we obey our parents in the Lord, if we're promised that it will go well with us as we obey our parents, then the opposite is also true. If we don't obey our parents, then it won't go well with us. You don't get it both ways. If we rebel and disrespect our parents, it won't go well with us. If we don't honor our parents, it won't go well with us because God, say amen if you're listening, God has established an order of things, and God doesn't go against his order. God is over the parents who are over the children. All of them answered to God for their responsible role and duty. God is not going to dishonor himself or his word by favoring your case over your parents. Young people, what we're seeing is the unraveling of our society and the symptoms are already unraveled families. The policies and laws that Christians are being forced to tolerate, to maneuver around, and to accept are not only unbiblical, they're anti-Christ. And we need to get used to starting using a word that, that has been lost because we want to be winsome and liked. But the truth of the matter is, is what they're forcing into the education world and what they're forcing into common areas in the public is demonic. We don't like to say things like that because we're afraid that we're going to hurt somebody's feelings, but they're after your children. They want your children. They don't want them to know who they are, what they are, what their greater purpose is. They want them lost. Let me tell you why. Because they're lost. Lost people love losing everybody. 
They don't want any convictions and principles and morals and ethics and reasons why they want there to be this opaque, abstract, vague, obtuse philosophy that at the end of the day is nothing but verbiage. It means nothing. We've got tenured professors that pride themselves on young Christians going to college their freshman year, leaving as seniors who think they have it all figured out and hating Jesus and doubting the gospel. This is happening because the church is failing generations. We're putting in coffee bars and bounce houses rather than the gospel of Jesus Christ. The church has become a fun hangout, and when they press up against demonic antichrist philosophy, they don't know what to do because cappuccinos and bounce houses and and candy doesn't answer this stuff, man. We don't prepare our children for spiritual warfare by telling them whatever they decide is okay with us. And young people, you don't prepare for spiritual warfare which assumes obedience to God by being disobedient to your parents. There's a form and a function. There is a time to rebel. And if you're not good at rebelling, you need to get good. There is a time to rebel, but it's not against God and it's not against your parents. There is a time for disobedience and civil disobedience, but it's never against God and it's never against your parents. There is a time for insubordination, but it's never against God and it's never against your parents. There are a lot of people who are adults today who live lives that are difficult and challenging, not because life can be hard in general, but because when they were young, they refused to obey their parents. They rebelled against their structure. They rebelled against their order. They resented their love. They rejected their God and their Christ, and today, their life is no good. Today, they're lousy spouses. They're disconnected parents. They're poor employees, and they're just citizens in the community sucking oxygen. Friends, we are witnessing the deterioration of society because we have already witnessed the compromise of the family. The downplay of the family unit. There aren't enough cops in the world to monitor the illegal activity that's happening today. There aren't enough counselors in the world to mitigate the negative effects of broken families and poor parenting. There aren't enough policies to correct the ungodly direction that the world has gone. But why should we be surprised? The world is doing what the world does. What infuriates me 
is when Christian parents have Christian kids who live lives that look just like the world. We've got young men not growing into young godliness. They're chasing the girls who are taking the same pictures on Instagram that ungodly girls are. When do the principles take? Young people, are you going to procrastinate? Are you going to wait? Are you going to put off the responsibility that God's called you to until you're a little older? Because I'm going to tell you this. If not for the grace of God, you might not have that option, man. There's a lot of people here today who would say, if not for the grace of God, I would not be here. Some of you are here today hearing this message because somebody's prayed for you. Not because you're good. Not because you're awesome. Not because you didn't rob a bank or rape someone. That is not the target that I as a pastor have for you young people. I don't expect you to rape someone. I don't expect you to rob a bank. I expect you to be light. I expect you to be salt. I expect you to spread the gospel and to live righteously in an unrighteous world. Your parents might be, well, you know, but he's a good boy. It's not enough for me. It's not enough for me. I expect men to grow, young men to grow into men and young ladies to grow into women. That's my expectation of you. And if your parents take it easy on you and pat you on the head and say you're amazing, they may be right to a degree. I don't want to take that away from you. You may be an amazing kid. But if you are being judged by the laws of this society, I can tell you your standard is too low. God's standard is much greater. And therefore, my primary concern is not what the world says of you, but what your family says of you, your church family says of you. So, in order to honor God and in order to honor our family... I want to share with you six practical ways that you can be obedient to your parents and honor God in your home and your youth. Ready? Six practical ways. They're going to come up on the screen. The first one is this. Always put Jesus first. This applies to adults too, but this is not particularly for you today. This is for young people. Here's the answer to every single question you'll ever ask. In this situation, am I putting Jesus first? If you're not putting Jesus first, then the answer is no. You can't do it. If you're compromising your faith in Jesus by saying this, by doing this, then the answer for you is no. It's that simple. Because the reality is some of you don't have parents that are very good parents. You're young people. You're Christians. Maybe you're young Christians, you're growing, this is a new thing for you, and your parents, they give you food, they give you shelter, but that's about all they give you. There are a lot of bad parents in the world. We're just going to own that. But that is not an excuse for you to be a poor Christian, because Jesus always comes first. The reason you honor your parents the way you do is because you honor them in the Lord. You get that phrase? Don't ever forget that phrase, in the Lord. Jesus is the Savior of all men. How many men? All men. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. It doesn't matter how great or terrible your parents are. 
You may be the means by which your parents become Christians. But if you go to church and you read your Bible and you're a jerk to your parents, your testimony is compromising you. Your testimony is compromising the gospel. So be faithful. Be faithful to the Lord, not only in your personal relationship with God, but also in how you share the gospel with your parents. This solves a lot of problems, guys, if you put Jesus first. In Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6, it says, Lean not on your own understanding, and all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make straight your path. You want to know what he has in store for you? You want to know what God's plan is for your life? Stop relying upon yourself and acknowledge him in all things. Put Jesus first. Amen? Secondly, show respect. Show respect. In Leviticus chapter 19, verse 32, it says, You shall stand up before the gray head, and you will honor the face of an old man, and you shall fear the Lord your God. I am the Lord. Did you get that tag? It's like God is taking this super practical thing and making it spiritual. He says, emphatically, he says, when a gray head comes in, stand up. And when you're in front of an older person, respect them. And then he says, I'm the Lord. Do what I say. We have a society today that is literally demonstrating to us what it looks like when a family fabric breaks down. There is no respect of older people in our society anymore. In fact, there's disrespect of older people in our society today. If you would be godly as a young person, you must show respect to people who are older than you. You not only show respect to people who are older than you because they're older than you, but because they're wiser than you. I love what Mark Twain said. When I was a boy of 14, my father was so ignorant, I could hardly stand to have the old man around. But when I got to be 21, I was astonished at how much the old man had learned in seven years. We think we know something when we're young. As we get older, we realize we didn't know as much as we thought we knew. And maybe our parents weren't as stupid as we thought they were. Have respect. Number three, engage in conversation, not argument. Engage in conversation, not argument. This is an art that sometimes is difficult to practice. I'll give you that. But if you can engage in conversation instead of argument, young people, I guarantee you 85% of the time you're going to get your way. Parents don't want to make your life impossible or miserable. They just don't want to be screamed at and nagged to. If you want to do something, 
If you have a thought about something, or if you blew it and you made a huge mistake, sit down and have a conversation with us. We'll respect you and have the conversation with you. You might not get your way, but I can guarantee you this, you're going to get a lot further with us having a conversation than you are acting like a toddler, throwing a fit, screaming, banging their head against the floor like they're in aisle three in Publix. You hear what I'm saying? Learn how to talk to your parents. Don't just argue with your parents. We we are the people who are keeping you alive, after all. So instead of looking at us like the obstacles to all that is joy and happiness in your life, talk to us a little bit. Have a conversation with us. It respect us enough to say, can I tell you what I'm thinking? This is why I brought this grade home. Or this is why I said what I said. Or this is why I didn't say what I should have said. The reality is, young people, you need to learn how to talk to your parents. Your parents are not obstacles to your success. They should be ramps toward your success. When you engage in conversation, you learn. As parents, we know that life isn't perfect. It's easy to be emotional when you're young, but you can't allow your emotions to guide your life. You'll make tremendous mistakes if you allow your emotions to rule your life. Let me share a proverb with you that I hope you'll tuck away somewhere. This is in the NIV, Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23. Proverbs 4, 23. Above all else, guard your heart because it is the wellspring of life. Young people, you need to protect yourself. You need to be guarded. You need to have what we call boundaries, where you can keep the good things in close to you and the bad things out. The reason we compromise ourselves is because we allow good to escape and we allow bad things to enter. And then our morals become compromised. Guard your heart above all else. Number four, beware of pride. Beware of pride. I know that you have only been here 13 years, 15 years, 18 years, And you have already figured out everything that it took us 40 and 50 years to figure out. I know, I know, I know. You're brilliant. Sit down, be humble. You need to realize that all your accomplishments would have come to nothing if your mother didn't breastfeed you. If your father didn't take care of your mother while she was taking care of you. That's how quick it is. That's how susceptible you are. That's how vulnerable you are. Everything that you have, you own to God and your parents. Be humble. Don't let pride come into your life. Proverbs 11 verse 2 says, when pride comes, then comes the fall. Every time, now I'm not saying you can't be confident. Man, I love to see confident people. There's nothing attractive about people who lack confidence. 
Self-confidence is a biblical thing. I love what Paul said. I know who I am by the grace of God, right? I know who I am. He's not saying I wonder who I am. He's not saying I think I know who I am. He knows who he is. He also knows who he's not. He's not being prideful. He's not boasting. He's saying this much I know. I'm confident about this. But ultimately, it's by the grace of God. Amen? Young people, be confident. Work at your skills. Work at your talents. Have confidence, but be humble. Be humble. At the end of the day, you would not have what you have if it weren't for those parents that God is calling you to obey. Number five, aim high, plan big. Now, I'm not telling you to have certain kinds of plans like being a doctor or a lawyer. That's not what I'm telling you. I'm telling you that Christians, regardless of what they do, should do all things with excellence to the glory of God. Everything you do, you should have a high aim and big plans. Don't aim for mediocrity. Aim for excellence in everything that you do because that's what God is calling you to. Strive, seek, and do not yield. Go for excellence. Sleep less. Work more. Budget your time better so you lose downtime to the phone or whatever else. You're not losing that time anymore. You're investing it in a in a task or in a craft or in a talent. Make the best use of your time. Aim high and plan big. Finally, take care of yourself. Take care of yourself. And by that, I mean your spiritual, physical, and mental health. Take care of yourself, your spiritual, physical, and mental health. There's a lot of things here. This is another sermon. You can take from this what you want to take from this. But I want you to hear me now. Just pastorally, I want to talk to you. You are every single day, even every moment of the day, that you have your phone in your hand and you're scrolling through social media or getting texts in some group that's got some godless pagan in it. You are getting inundated with thoughts and ideas and words and pictures and images that dishonor God, dishonor your parents, and dishonor your value. Have self-respect enough to be concerned for your own health. Understand that there are things that once you see, you cannot unsee. You will never unsee them. There are things that once you've heard, you will never unhear. Your brain will hold on to these things for the rest of your life. You need to take care of yourself spiritually, physically, and mentally. Spiritually, you need to take care of yourself by making, making sure that you are putting God first, that you're reading his word regularly, that you're in church on Wednesdays and on Sundays. If something comes up at school or you have something, that's okay, I understand, I get that. It happens. But none of this months gone and then you pop in for one Sunday and then a year gone and then every single person that drifts from Jesus starts to compromise their spiritual health. There is no such thing as a spiritually healthy Christian who does not attend a church. That's completely absent from the New Testament. I don't care who told you. Spiritually take care of yourself. 
Physically take care of yourself. Listen, you need to take care of yourself physically. You need to exercise. You need to watch what you eat. Put down the chips. Put down the sugar. You need to have regular exercise. I don't care if you walk. I don't care if you bike. I don't care what it is you do. Your body needs to be engaged. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 that this body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. You ought to take care of it, what you put into it and what you involve it in. You should deal with your body with the awareness that God lives with you. Physically, take care of your body. And finally, mentally. Mentally, you need to take care of your health. Spiritually, physically, and mentally, your health is important. Now, when it comes to this, it can be somewhat challenging because you have friends who really aren't friends. There's two kinds of friends, in my opinion. There are stars and there are stones. Stars make you look up. They bring you light, and they're amazing. Stones sit there. They're heavy, and there's no purpose to them whatsoever. What kind of friends do you have in your life? You have stars or stones? Your mental health is tied to your company. Paul says it this way. He says, bad company corrupts good morals. Of course, there's truth in that. But listen to what Proverbs 18.24 says. A person who has too many friends will come to ruin. You can't have too many friends. There's no such thing. You have a friend group that will answer at 3 in the morning and stay up for 48 hours if that's what you need. You have a friend group that will loan you 10 bucks without asking a question. You have a friend group that will pray for you when you're going through a hard time. You have a friend group that doesn't antagonize you or mock you or challenge you because it's funny and it's the popular thing to do at the moment. Friends build up their friends. And if you don't have people like this in your life, You don't have to look elsewhere for the cause of your mental instability. If your anxiety is off the chart, your friends are terrible. You're young. You should have no anxiety in your life. None. But between Fauci and Biden and these ridiculous clowns we have running our country right now, through big pharma and the educational paradigm that the bureaucrats who have never taught a kid in their life are forcing down our throats. They want your soul, man. They create these nonsensical teaching paradigms and then they drop them because they're not getting funding for it anymore. So now we don't want to do math that way anymore. We're going to change it back. Oh yeah, we're only going to teach you four months because the rest of your educational paradigm is going to be pedagogy aimed at a certain test because that's so realistic. Schools are failing our children. The state of Florida alone is 5,000 teachers short. Not only do we have teachers retiring early because they hate teaching your kids. 
but we have a 25% decline in college students who are interested in teaching. Why? Because the cycle is repeating itself now. The generation we failed is now in charge. And they're hollow and empty. And all they want to do is force feed to the public this agenda ideology that they have. We don't have math teachers that want to teach math anymore. They want to philosophize about how two plus two somehow equals five on certain occasions. If you don't take care of yourself, young people, the world will kill you. And you say, well, it hasn't killed me yet. Well, there's, there, maybe I'm being metaphorical. Maybe this is hyperbolic. But, but the reality of the matter is, is there are some things worse than dying when you're a Christian. To live a purposeless life, a lost life, full of anxiety and worry is no life at all. Paul says in Philippians 4, 6, don't be anxious about anything, but in all things, with prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, make your requests known to God, and the peace of God will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. That word guard is pulled from this Roman idea in military where things that were important would be circled by guards. The peace of God does that to our hearts and minds. When we're anxious, we give it to God, and his peace surrounds our hearts and minds and protects us. But if you don't have that spiritual health, you will not have that physical health. You will not have that mental health. If you neglect one aspect of your personhood, your entire being will be compromised. You know why you can't sleep? Because you're not taking care of yourself physically. You're being lazy all day, and then at 2 o'clock in the morning, you can't figure out why you can't sleep. You know, you know why your mind is restless? Because you're doing nothing but 30-second TikToks for hours at a time, binging this stuff, and your brain, which God made for slow development, for tedious thought, for problem-solving, it's just getting inundated with these quick messages. And that's not the way our neurology was supposed to function. You know why you're unhealthy spiritually? Because you allow anything and everything to take priority before Jesus. Listen, I pray that God graciously protects you from the evil one. And I pray that God guides you even when you're struggling to know the way. And I pray that God gives you the faith that you need when you find times difficult. To close, let me say this. To be a young person today can be difficult. But God has provided his blueprint for us. And for young people, it begins in the circle of the family. 